Let's go to the first epistle of John. And uh, chapter 3. Got to chapter 3. Moving along at this rapid pace. All right. Well, since there's only, you know, like, a rapid pace. All right. All right, we got through... Uh, we got through chapter 2 last week, and I think the main focus of our topic last week was the anointing. Um, John told us that we have an unction, and, um, and that word is a lubricant. It's an oil. And uh, it's interesting, you know, when, I, when you think about the anointing and you compare oil to water, and water evaporates, but the anointing, it... It's the actual, it says we're smeared with the anointing, you know, and, uh, and it abides. It doesn't fade. It doesn't pass. It's not temporary. You know, the Bible says we were sealed with the Holy Ghost. You know, the Lord's not an Indian giver. When he gives us something, it's permanent. Amen. Satan tries to make us feel like he's an Indian giver. He tries to make us believe we don't have something that we already have. But um, as chapter 2 declared, he's a liar. And also those that say that Jesus is not God, that he's not the Christ, they're liars. And we're to uh, avoid them like the, uh, the plague or the whatever that stuff is going around. What do they call that? The corona? I said, man, you know I'm getting old, man, when they name a virus after a beer I used to drink when I was a heathen. What's the world coming to? What's the world coming to, man? So, uh, yeah, anyway. And the main thing, too, is he said the anointing, it will guide us into all truth. Amen. Amen. You know, I can, we can't live without the Holy Ghost. We just cannot live without the Holy Ghost. You know, when, um, when Apollos was preaching, Apollos, how many know you can preach without the Holy Ghost? How many know you can actually go to the mission field without the Holy Ghost? You know, John Wesley, when he came over to America, he said when he realized that he wasn't born again through the scriptures, he said, I've gone to convert the heathen, but who will convert me? So he was doing all that work over here in America as just a professional minister. Just, just had gone through college, had the right things that he could say, but in his heart, unconverted, unborn again, not full of the Holy Ghost. And um, Apollos was like that. And, uh, and he was preaching up a storm. And uh, a couple, Aquila and Priscilla, they said, hey, you know, let us show you a better way, a more true way, is I think is what the scripture says. And uh, they begin to preach to him, you know, Jesus and, um, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he got baptized. And, um, you know, and when you get baptized with the Holy Ghost, you know, we don't, like we said last week, it does not replace Bible study. It does not replace the Bible teacher. It does not replace... The fivefold ministry, okay? It does not surplant. The, 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 the fivefold ministry is, um, what was that word we used last week? It says, um, the anointing does not supersede the ministry's teaching, but surmounts it. In other words, the anointing doesn't replace good Bible teaching, but it must always be the anointing is the top. All right? And, and man's gifts to you as the church, they're under the anointing. The anointing's here. The gifts are here. Amen? Amen. And you should always carry your Bible and trust the Holy Ghost that God has put in you. Amen? Because I am just a vessel. And I don't want you to believe everything that I say up here. I want you to be diligent like the Bereans. Search the scriptures and see that the things that I say are true. And if what I say up here doesn't align with the Word of God, 
Well, you don't have to rebuke me publicly and embarrass me in front of all these lovely people. You can be like Aquila and Priscilla and take me aside and say, Brother Jeremy, I think you missed it there. And we can have a little discussion. And, and that's the proper way, you know. We've got far too many people that like to stand up in church and rebuke the man or the woman of God in the pulpit and make a big scene. And we don't need that. That's disorderly. Amen. Amen. So um, praise God. So here we go then. So chapter 3, starting at verse 29 of chapter 2, because we saw that that it it starts off in verse 29, really, doesn't it? Remember, there was no chapters and verses in the original. So we're going to start at verse 29 of chapter 2. Now, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knows him not. And beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. And whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. And little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. And in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for the word, Lord. Thank you for the inspired scriptures, God. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifices that were made, Lord, that we might be able to sit here, Lord, tonight and have a Bible in our hands, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have been faithful to preserve your word, God, for your children, Lord. And though we ask, Lord, that you would inspire us tonight, Lord, and, Lord, that you would help me to teach sound doctrine, God, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So the first thing he leads off here, and he says, Now remember... John, the apostle, probably the last letter that was written in the canon of Scripture, John about 100 years old, making a distinction now because the church has been alive for about 100 years, and there's a lot of crazies out there now. There's a lot of people going out there saying that they're Christian, saying that they love God, saying that they have the truth, and they do not. So John is making distinctions here in this small letter of What is a true Christian? What is a real believer? And what is not? All right? And so one of the things he says in verse 29, he says, if you know that he is righteous, in other words, if we know that Christ is righteous, then we know that everyone that doeth, or that word practices, righteousness is born of him. All right? You're going to do or be who you're united with. Amen? Amen? It's, it's not rocket science. It's pretty simple, really. But it's amazing how the Holy Spirit in this time knows that this is what we need. Because I'll tell you, we're living in a day right now, people can win a Super Bowl or they can win the World Series or they can do something, they can get a Grammy Award, and they say, oh, I thank God. I thank God for this. But yet, they're not doing righteousness. So you can say, I thank God all day long because you hear it. Oh, did you hear so-and-so? He said, he said God at the Super Bowl. Oh, man, he must be a Christian. Oh, man, he must love the Lord. What, just because he said, I thank God? 
Hey, many people in the world say God. All right? John's laying out what really separates a born-again Christian from somebody who is not. One is, if you say that you're a Christian, Jesus is a, he's righteous. And if you say that he, he's, if you say you're a Christian, you're gonna be like the one you're following. You're gonna practice righteousness. You're not always gonna get it right. How many remember when they first practiced trying to hit a baseball? Didn't get it right, did you? Didn't hit them, didn't hit it the first time, did you? If you did, we were probably lucky. It was a chance. But the practicing of it, practice makes perfect, doesn't it? We're not always going to walk the way we should be, but the mark of a true believer is somebody that strives for this. They, I want to be righteous. I don't walk righteous every day. I don't write upright before God my entire, you know, what is it now? 25 years I've been saved, 1994, however that many long that was. Do the math. Um, you know, 20, almost 26 years. You know, I mean, I've known the Lord. I got, I believe I be, got filled with the Holy Ghost and, and asked Jesus to, to, to save me from my sin when I was a little boy. But, you know, as you do, you, you walk away. But, you know, firmly, no looking back, 1994, I told me and the devil, I gave him an eviction notice and said, move out of my house. And I never looked back, praise God. And the Lord's been faithful. Have I got it right? Have I practiced righteousness every day? Well, I'm striving to. And that's the context here. And so I want you to remember that word tonight in this study, the word practice there, okay? Those that practice righteousness are born of Him. Now behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. We are the sons of God. Now that doesn't mean that He doesn't have daughters of God. The reason why we say sons is because it's an inheritance term, okay? Like a firstborn is the emphasis there. Every single one of us are an heir of God. That's the emphasis here. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called sons, daughters, children, or heirs of God? We're part of God's family. What kind of love is this? What manner of love could come down and touch me? Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. All right, now keep your finger there and let's go over to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 1. We go back and forth to this chapter quite a bit. John chapter 1. Say amen when you're there. Amen. All right. And let's go into verse 9. That was the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Isn't that amazing? You think that the world would know him. But the world knew him not. He came unto his own, verse 11, and his own received him not. Talking about Israel. Jesus, the Messiah, came through Israel, through the Abrahamic line. Abraham, David. Yep. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You know, the Jewish family. He came to the Jews. He was a Jew. And they did not receive him. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even... To them that believe on his name. All right? So, I received Jesus. Amen. You received Jesus. When somebody told me about him, 
I believed what they said, and I received him into my life, just like you did. And when we did that, God gave us power, authority, the privilege, the right to be called an heir of God, a child of God. It is an absolute privilege to be called that. Amen? How many watched the, uh, the State of the Union last night? You see that privilege, how privileged it was to be up in that balcony? You were a special guest. They had that honor. Well, that honor that you saw there, that what we have with God is like that, but far more greater. You know, God has put us up in a special place. He's put us up in the, in the VIP seating of the family of God. Because we have access and privilege. And it wasn't anything that we did. It was just simply that we had faith to believe and we received. Amen. We believed and we received. Just like a gift. And so that word power, there's authority. There's other word of power in the scriptures called uh, uh, dunamos or dynamis. Is where we get our word dynamite. Um, he told his disciples, tarry in Jerusalem and you shall receive power. Right? That's a different. That's not authority. He didn't say tarry there and you'll have authority. He said tarry there and you will have an explosion. You will have the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will be an explosion in your life that will create energy. It will create dynamics. It will move stuff. Amen. You know, back when they were building the Hoover Dam, they used dynamite to move stuff, move mountains, break through. Amen. People want to know why there's no breakthrough because there's no Holy Ghost. You know, you need the Holy Ghost and power to have breakthrough. He's the thing that drives through like a stick of dynamite. Amen. Praise the Lord. Totally different. All right. Back to the text here in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. The world knows us not because it knew him not. I should not get ashamed or feel offended when I don't have things in common with the world. Now we saw in our earlier study, the world there is the word cosmos. It's a system. Okay. It's not for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for God so loved humanity. All right. But the word cosmos there is talking about a system, an educational system, a governmental system, an entertainment system. All right. A social system. In Genesis, when they said, let us build us a tower that will reach to the heavens. What they were creating was a cosmos or a system without God. That's what they wanted. And they've still been trying to build that tower to reach to the heavens. They still trying to exist without God. And so... Because remember, John said they did not know him. They did not receive him. They didn't know him. I should not be ashamed when they don't know me. But if they do know me, the question is, am I in him? If they know me and I know them, do I know him? And does he know me? Because if I do know him and he does know me, then they should not know me. And I should not know them. Amen. Say that, Peter Piper picked the pack up. (laughs) Verse 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God. It's not something that's coming. It's something that is now. You know, there's a story that when Michelangelo carved this, the, uh, the statue of David that you can see in Rome there. You probably all saw pictures of it. Some of you have probably been there. It, I hear it's a massive. I've never been there, but the atrium that you go in, it's like you could see it from far away. And the, for, 
as the coaching, it just, it's, it's breathtaking from what I understand. It's absolutely breathtaking. And, um, when Michelangelo started on this thing, they delivered him this huge chunk of granite. It was massive, huge thing. And the first thing he did when he looked at that massive piece of granite, he said, Oh my, that's so beautiful. And the delivery man's like, what? It's just a chunk. It's just a stone. It's an old chunk of granite. No, but the maker, the creator, he knew what that piece of stone was going to become. And he could see the finished work before he even put one cut, one chisel on the stone. He already saw the magnificent work that was going to be. And that's how God sees us. When God looks at you, he sees the finished work, man. He sees the finished work. I look in the mirror and I'm like, man, can you chip a little more here? Get some, you know, and, and that's how he sees us. He sees us completely fashioned into the image of Christ. And that's what John's talking about here when he says, beloved, now are we the sons of God? All right. Now are we the sons of God? Now, it does not yet appear what we shall be. When I look at you, I cannot see what you will be in your resurrected body. Praise God. I'm sure all of us will be maybe a little younger, maybe a little less wrinkly, maybe a little less fluffy. You know, I don't know. It does not yet appear what we shall be. What you see right now is not what you're going to get. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And that's all that matters. It doesn't really matter what I'm going to be. What matters is, is that when he appears, I'm going to be like him. Because at the end of the day, all we've ever wanted to do is be like him, huh? That's all we've ever strived for. The day I gave my heart to Jesus, I just wanted to be like him. And as long as I am like him, everything's going to be just fine. And I love how John says, but we know that when he shall appear, praise God. There's a lot of people out there that say he's not going to appear. That he's, where is this Jesus that you say is coming back? They've been saying he's coming back for thousands of years. He hasn't come back yet. He's coming back. Amen. Amen. He's coming back. And when he shall appear, you know, the word there appear is a different word than the word um, that we get the apocalypse from or revelation. You know, when Jesus appears to us first... It's just like when he told the the angels came, when Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Ghost to come upon them and they and gave them the the promise that the spirit was going to come. As soon as he said that, Jesus was lifted up in the clouds and they just kind of watched him, I guess, watched him go up. And all of a sudden he was just taken away. And so as they were standing there gazing the angel kind of came down and kind of rebuked him because he had already told him what to do. Go to Jerusalem and tarry. Yeah. He says, why stand here ye gazing? This same Jesus will come back in like manner on a cloud. And that appearing of, the, of Jesus coming back is when we... The appearance there is the gathering. We talked about that a lot in Thessalonians, if you remember that study. If not, it's on the, it's in the uh, podcasts. But there is a difference in the appearance of Jesus to the saints and the revelation of Jesus to the world. Okay? One's good news. The other one is not good news. That's the wrath of God. Amen? And so there's going to be a revelation of Jesus Christ to the world, but there's going to be an appearance of Jesus to his church. Amen. Amen. And so when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And what a day that's going to be, man. I cannot wait to see Jesus. 
You know, blessed are them that believe who have not seen, but praise God on that day. Blessed are those who shall see him. Amen. Verse three, and every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he's pure. You know, there's no greater tool or thing that can help the believer remain pure in the Lord than the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe every generation should believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen. We should, we should live our lives as though Jesus was coming back tonight. I find that if I live my life when Jesus Christ, I mean, if I'm like, if I live like Jesus Christ can come back any moment, I probably will turn a few things off. I probably won't watch a few things. Because I don't want to get caught watching something that I'm not supposed to be watching. Can you imagine watching something and then all of a sudden, the horn and shouting, you're like, oh my gosh. The Bible talks about that. We're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be like, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a confidence in his coming, praise God. Not like, oh, shoot, I went out, you know, scrambling around. You ever get an unexpected visitor in your house? Your house is a mess. You got kids' toys all over the place, popcorn everywhere from somebody comes and the house just scrambles because they're not ready for a visitation, are they? Amen. But the church should live ready for a visitation. And it's a purifying fact. And God forbid that we become a church that continues to, you know, I don't believe in this thing where, you know, you know my standing on where I believe in the rapture. I've said that many times. And one of the fundamental reasons why I believe the rapture will take place where it will take place because it is a purifying factor that the rapture could come any moment. It could take the church and we should live. Jesus always taught us to watch and pray for his return. All right. And it purifies this hope of his return. It purifies himself even as Who's pure? He is pure. So looking for Jesus to come purifies me as he is pure. Amen. Capital H. He's pure. Amen. Oh, he's so pure. Now, verse four. Now, whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law for sin is the transgression of the law. So that word committeth there is The same word that we saw for practice. Another way of saying it is whoever habitually commits sin or whoever is committed to sin or whoever practices sin transgresses the law. You know, there is a difference between somebody who falls into sin and somebody who masters or practices sin. If you got somebody that's telling you that they're a Christian... But they're memorizing lyrics to songs that talk about things that they shouldn't talk about. And they want to make sure that they got it right. So when they get to their friends, they can, you know, look like they know what they're talking about. If you got people that you know that say they're Christians and they're practicing on how they can cheat or they're practicing their lies or they're practicing their adultery or they're practicing all the things that the scriptures prohibits, man, they're not saved. They're not saved because there's a difference between somebody who is committed to sin and somebody who falls into sin. There's a big difference. And that's what John is talking about here. And, you know, and the person that is committed to practicing sin, they they don't want to repent. They bought into this lie that it's okay. They can continue to live in the way they they want to live because Jesus still loves me. Yes, I did have sex and Jesus still loves me. Yes, you did have sex and Jesus still loves you, but you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. But people are believing that it's okay to have sex outside of marriage because Jesus still loves them. Yes, Jesus does love you, but sex outside of marriage is still wrong. 
So you can see how they're twisting the scriptures and believing that it's okay to do that because Jesus still loves them. No, Jesus is love is what brings the mercy to forgive you, which brings the grace to empower you not to do what Jesus said not to do. So, but what we have now is we have a twisting of the scriptures. People say, oh, don't judge me, brother. What do you mean don't judge you? The scripture has already judged you. When you say don't judge me, are you saying don't tell me that I can't do that? That's not judging somebody. You've already been judged, the Bible says. The Bible says we've already been judged. But if we believe on Jesus Christ, we've passed from death into life. Amen. Amen. So, so it's very important to make that distinction in believers. Now, we can't be headhunters in the church going around always just looking to, you know, cut somebody's head off. Because there's a whole nother chapter that we talked about how to deal with the brother or sister that is not committed to sin, but is struggling to get rid of sin. Okay, but I still think the first thing we need to look at is the quality of the heart. Do they really want, do they want to get rid of this? So it says sin is a transgression of the law. You know, there's no way, a lot of people believe that if they, the law is beautiful and if they could keep the law, then they would be righteous. That if they could, if they could live out the Ten Commandments without breaking them, that then they would be righteous. But that is not true because the Bible teaches us that the law is the knowledge of sin. The only reason why God created the law is to show human beings what sin is. Sin was already there. We know that, like we said last week, because death came. Death is the proof that sin was there. The law came to show us what sin was. And so because because the law brings a knowledge of sin, the law can never save. And that's what Paul teaches us. That's what pastor taught us in Romans. So it's pointless to even say, oh, if I just keep the Ten Commandments, I'll be righteous. No. You know, the purpose of the law in Leviticus was to make the Hebrews go to the altar. With what? The lamb. You see, without the law, they would have never brought the lamb. You see, the law was to introduce them to the lamb. If you commit this sin, bring this sacrifice. The law introduced redemption. You see, without them saying, don't do this, and then they do that, they have a substitution there. They bring that to the Lord, and then they understand the concept of redemption. And that's why it's very important when we're witnessing to our unsaved friends and loved ones that we do bring the law. Because a lot of people think it's okay to lie now. A lot of people think it's okay to, you know, steal or have, have, have affair, have an adulterous affair or, you know, or dishonor your parents. So what we do is we bring the law to bring a knowledge of sin. And I think lying is a great one because Revelation tells us if you've said one lie, you are doomed to hell, to a lake of fire. Well, I, man, I, I, has anybody in here ever told a lie? Multiple, multiple times I have. So that's a good one to start because pretty much, I mean, I never killed anybody, but I certainly have said a lie. And so just that alone, I've broken the law. So that means I need redemption. You see, and that's how you can work and, 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 and get people to come to the Lord. We got to prove that there's a transgression of the law. Verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. There is no sin in Jesus. There's no sin in him. The very fact that there was no sin in him is the reason why he rose from the dead. It says the holiness is what raised him from the dead. The, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he was a Jesus was without sin. That's why he could be the perfect atonement for our sin. You know, it says here that he was manifested to take away our sins in verse five. In verse um, 
8, it says, He was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. And over in chapter 4, verse 14, it says, He was manifested to be the Savior of the world. You know, Jesus came to take away my sin. But He not only came to take away our sin, but He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy what he meant for evil. You know, what he meant to to consume. You know, there's nothing more that can destroy a family, can destroy a person. The effects of sin destroys. Amen. And he has come to destroy the devil. He's not. And that's what that is, is. That's his power. He's got no power over us. He's got no power over you. He's got no power over me. Our brain tries to believe that he's got power because we're living in our experience. But he has no power. Praise God. Amen. Now, remember, in him is no sin. There's no sin in Jesus, right? So verse six, whoever abides in him, in Jesus, whoever abides in Jesus, sins not. Now, that's the key. There's no sin in Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever abides in him, there's no sin. Yep. There's no sin. You know, if you're wrapped in Jesus, there's no sin. Mm-hmm. The key there is abiding. It's like it's like Jesus is the he's the outer core. Here I am. I just need to jump inside of him. And if I jump inside of him, I'm surrounded by sinlessness. You see, the reason why I have a consciousness of my own sin is because I'm not abiding in him. When I abide, and I've literally, you've experienced this just like me. When I'm abiding in Jesus, I am not thinking, oh my God, my sin is just killing me today. When I'm abiding in him, I don't even think about sin. I have no, no guilt, no, no condemnation, no anything. I'm just really a happy person. I just have joy. Because why? Because there's no sin in him. And so if I abide in him, remember it already says he's taken away my sin. When God looks at you, he's not seeing your sin. So what's the key for me not to see my sin? Abide in him where there is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. That's what he's talking about there. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him and neither known him. All right. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth or practice righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. We saw that there in the uh, verse 29. All right? He's just making it clear. I want to uh, go over to Romans chapter 3 for with me real fast. Romans chapter 3. Say amen when you're there. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. All right. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. It's been being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all of them that believe. All right? So there is a righteousness that is outside of keeping the law. Because remember, the law was just there to say, man, I'm breaking these things. He's telling me to do this. I can't do it. Help me, Lord. Yes, that's where he's trying to get you to. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. That's what the law is trying to get us to say. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. The problem with the world is, is they're saying, I don't need Jesus. I don't need him. I don't need help. I'm okay just the way I am. Well, no, you're not. The law says we should be this way. So you're not okay, brother. Well, they've changed that. The Bible's changed. I don't, the Bible's not real. That's just a story they've made up. Da, 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 da. So then they go try to go down that route. 
You know, that it's just a, it's just a, you know, just a bunch of made up stories. Like Cinderella or something. You know? It's crazy. I'm telling you right now, this is the Word of God. It's not Plato. It's not Socrates. It's God's Word. It's inspired. Don't ever let anybody ever try to put this on the same shelf as those philosophers because it's not. This is the Word of God. The hearing of it. I mean, just reading it is powerful. Amen. Reading it tonight, I could feel it going into my spirit and carving me and chipping away the things that need to be conformed into His image. Amen? Amen. The Word of God is powerful. It's sharp. Sharper than any chisel Michelangelo ever used. Now, he says, so there's a righteousness apart from the law. And this righteousness is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, righteousness, the righteousness of God, it's not an attribute of God. It's not like one of his characters, like holiness or something like that. Um, And it's not our character or our changed character. You know, like if we stop going out to clubs or if we stop smoking cigarettes or if we stop, you know, chasing girls or lying on our taxes When I stop doing those things, that's not what makes me righteous, okay? But righteousness is a person. Righteousness is Christ himself. Righteousness is a person. And when we come into a relationship with that person, then we share with what they have, with who they are, amen? And that's... And that's really what it's about. So we just got to get, we got to change our, 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 the way we think when we use this word righteousness, that it's just us being good. Thank you. Being a good person. All right? So that's what righteousness is. Righteousness is a person. Now, we talked about, um, we talked about this word sin a little bit. And while we're over here, I wanted to, um, if we look at um, verse 23, everybody's always said this, if you ever preach the Romans road to the lost, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we always seem to stop there, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, brother. Well, I don't need Jesus. Well, the Bible says you do because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But look at verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's the second part. The good news is all have sinned, but the good news is because all have sinned, all can be justified. See, if not all have sinned, then not all can be justified. So really, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's, it actually is very inclusive. You see? All have sinned, but all can be freely justified by His grace. So that's why it's so key to get a person to acknowledge that they have sinned. Because if they don't acknowledge that they have sinned, then they cannot be justified freely. So, sin. There's seven manifestations of sin in the Bible. There may be more, but we'll talk about seven. For those of you note-takers... The first word we'll discuss that you've heard, and these are all through the Psalms, um, which is beautiful. Uh, the first word for sin would be transgression. Now, transgression would be an overstepping of the law or a divine boundary that God has set between good and evil, a transgression. Stepping over the line or a divine boundary between good and evil. You can find that in Psalm 51. Another word for sin is the word iniquity. And iniquity is an act inherently wrong. Something that is expressly forbidden. Ethan, when I go to work, do not eat my cookies. When I come home and my cookies are gone... I have found iniquity in my son. All right? It was an explicit command of something not to do. All right, we also have this thing called air. And 
I like the word heir. It's used a lot in the New Testament with Paul and Peter and John because it's a departure from right or a departure from doctrine, pure doctrine, okay? And we see heir plentiful nowadays. And so this word heir is a departure from what is right. I like to find if you're in sin or in heir with the scriptures. When Jesus told the Pharisees, you do err in the scriptures. Because you think the scriptures are this, but the scriptures are actually of me. Amen. So that's another thing for uh, sin. Error. E-R-R-O-R. Error. Error. There you go. I'm saying it in my Missouri accent. You knew what I was saying, didn't you, Jeff? Error. 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 How does a Buckeye say it? Huh? Air. All right, all right. Moving along rapidly here. Okay, so that's air. E-R-R-O-R. Departure from right. There's another one that's missing the mark. A failure to meet a divine standard. All right? You know, you have a bullseye. You're aiming for it, but you completely miss the target all the time. All right? That's probably the most generic term for sin. You know, it's just missing all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All in sin and misses, misses his mark or his standard for living. All right? Another one is trespass. A trespass is the intrusion of self-will into divine authority. A trespass. Trespass, the intrusion of self-will into divine authority. All right? Trespass. No trespassing. I think that was five. Maybe. I, w- I haven't been counting, actually. Transgression was one. Iniquity was two, error was three, missing the mark is four, trespass is five. All right. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 for a reference there. Lawlessness is used quite a bit in Scripture. Lawlessness is spiritual anarchy. Spiritual anarchy, rebellion. You know, um, Judges talks about the children of Israel. They did what was right in the sight of their own eyes. There was a lawlessness in the land. There's a lawlessness in our land now. People want to be able to do what's right in their own eyes. They do not want to be told what is right and what is wrong. Let them decide what is right and wrong for them. It's a lawlessness. And then probably the most, I feel... The worst, I mean, they're all bad, but if you had to think of one, is the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. To not take God at His word is like the ultimate disrespect. Unbelief. Hath God said? You know, and that's where Satan always tries to dwell. He always tries to get us to doubt what God has said. Did God really say that? It's the ultimate disrespect. And, yeah, so there you go. So unbelief, Paul calls it the sin of unbelief. You know, when you're witnessing and you're evangelizing and you smell unbelief, you know, unbelief is contagious. Yes, it is. Unbelief is very contagious. You think this stuff going on in China right now is dangerous. There's nothing more dangerous and more contagious than the sin of unbelief. Why do you think in the wilderness, when the sons of Korah started catching that unbelief fever, God had to take them out, man? 
He had to burn them out like a bad cancer or something. I mean, because people, it just, it just, it's contagious. People start falling into it, you know, um, fear, fear. You know, if you're going to war, man, the, the fear is bad, isn't it? You know, you don't want the troops. Fear is a very contagious thing. But the Bible says perfect love cast out all fear. Perfect love cast out all fear. And, um, you know, so these, these, these are things that we can't have, you know, in our family and in our church. Um, we can't have unbelief, man. Um, and unbelief manifests itself in many ways, which we're, I'm sure we've all been familiar with that. Praise God. Okay, I'm back over in the letter here because we're going to get down to verse 10, hopefully. <laughs> all right, so he says, now... So that was about righteousness. We talked about that. And we're in verse 7, little children. Chapter 3, verse 7. All right, I'm just going to repeat myself. Little children, let no man deceive you that he doeth. Let he that practices righteousness is righteous even, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin or practices sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. From the beginning. There's no salvation for the devil. The devil isn't getting saved. He's not getting saved. You know why the devil's not getting saved? Well, first of all, there's salvation is not of for angels. Angels don't get saved. Salvation is for human beings. Redemption, salvation, is for a human being. All right? 